Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Jake and Nate podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sam Herbst, recurring guest out in Wisco. What's up? Hey, glad to be back. Glad to be a recurring guest. Um, yeah. Very interesting regular season coming to an end, but the playoffs are mm-hmm. going to be great. So let's get into it. Yeah, so today we're going to do a little postseason or regular season recap of the NBA. We're going to give you our all-NBA teams, some postseason awards, talk some Lakers, Magic Johnson, debacle, and then at the end, given how much time we got, we're going to cover some draft, talk the epic championship game matchup with DeAndre Hunter and Jarrett Culver and where we stand on that side. And yeah, just a lot to get into. And first, I want to say yesterday was a wild day in basketball Twitter. Wild, wild It was definitely, maybe since the entering of the Staples Center tunnels, one of the best days in NBA Twitter of of recent memory. I mean, it's completely like buried now that Anthony Davis wore a That's All Folks shirt in his last game with the Pels. I mean, that was just that's the, like, that was the start of the night on Twitter. That was the start. Yeah, that was the start. And did you did you see? We have to bring it up. Did you see the quote he had this morning when asked about it? Um, what what did, what did he say exactly again? I don't want to mess. He was like he was like, I didn't pick it out. It was sitting there for me on my hanger when I walked in. Oh yeah, that is his stylist picked it out. <laughs> Weird. Can't make it up. Can't make no, it up. Definitely cannot. And so that was just the appetizer. And then NBA Twitter officially blew up when Magic Johnson decided to hold an impromptu press conference and step down as president of basketball operations for the Lakers. What were, did you get those notifications immediately? Because I clicked on it like right when they tweeted it and just wrote it out from the start. Were you, did you get the, what was your re- initial reaction when you saw that? I was a little shocked well, at first. Well, I was, I was going out the library to study and of course it delayed delayed my studying a little bit of course Um, yeah (laughs) but but i was just i was just i don't know if surprised is the right word because when i saw it that wasn't my initial reaction it was kind of more of like a like an on like i couldn't believe it like Mm -hmm. that it actually Mm -hmm. happened that he like stepped down and just the whole bus palinka johnson walton experiment officially blew up and magic rambled for like 50 minutes to an hour in his, in this press conference. And it was really kind of disappointing that, that someone like magic Johnson, not that he like, we'll get into this in a little bit. Not that I think he did the worst job as a GM. I think this season was a disaster, but to go out like that, to go out like that um, before the playoffs started. And it was Mm -hmm. kind of a weird, weird scene. Yeah. I mean, like, it's so weird on so many levels and we'll dive into it and try to, I mean, I don't even like dissect it as much as we can, but there's so many things in my mind wrong with it slash shocking that it almost got more surprising as the tweets started to come out. Like at first, when you get that, you assume that he this had gone on for a while. He talked to Jeannie had told everyone in the organization. And then it comes out that he says that Jeannie doesn't know he's here but he loves her like a sister and couldn't bring himself to tell her. And that, that was just the start of the insane quotes by him. I, I don't even know where to start. Like, but to me, that is the most <laughs> wild part of it that he just didn't even tell Jeannie he was doing this. Well, you could, I think you can, you can list the quotes from that press conference mm-hmm. um, all day long. If you wanted to, he was saying things that were absolutely ridiculous. Um, 
I think, I think magic, he, what he was saying, I guess I kind of see how he can be feeling that way. He was saying, yeah. I'm not having fun. Um, I have better things to do, like mentoring Serena Williams and Ben Simmons and, and Ben Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he's, he's probably not having as much fun as he would have running the business that is Magic Johnson. I think yeah. being being the president of an NBA team is not necessarily a fun line of work, especially when you're when your Lakers team that you said was going to make a run in the playoffs is now the team that is now the team that's losing to by forty on the road in Phoenix and doing all yeah. these terrible things and having this crazy end of season. Of course, it's not fun, but yeah. that's part of the that's part of the job. There's at the end of the season, there's one team that had fun. So, so yeah. it's kind of like, I guess he didn't really know what he was getting himself into. And something that he said that, that, uh, I really agreed with was, was when he said, um, his biggest strength is his ability to close, close deals. Yeah. Close yeah. deals. And that's great and all. And that's probably a big reason why he got the job. But when it comes to due diligence and when it comes to winning basketball games, closing deals may help in free agency or stuff like that. But um, it definitely didn't work out this uh, this for this season. Yeah, I mean, I as much as you wanted to be like f this guy, like reading all his quotes, knowing what he was as a basketball player, knowing what he is as a businessman, I sit back and why would he want any part of this being? An NBA executive is a taxing job. You need to fly everywhere. You need to call people that you always thought were below you. You need to do all these things that he never really envisioned himself doing. And multiple people close to the situation are saying he didn't like all... I mean, you just said it. He liked selling people. He liked selling people on being a Laker. But out of the 12 months of this job, that that's only one month. That's only July. And... I mean, we saw a little bit when the video of him talking at Summer League surfaced. You know what I'm talking about when he explained that, yeah, like all the signings? It's the most ridiculous kind of yeah. interview when you look back on it through right. the lens of this disaster season. It's really honestly kind of funny watching that. Right. And, I mean, that's so that resurfaced on Twitter because I was away at camp, so I didn't get to see that. But that kind of resurfaced on Twitter about like six weeks ago. And then I really started to think like, is he cut out for this job? Like, does he really know what it takes? Does he know what it takes to win all these certain things? Because none of what he said in that two minute clip made any sense yet. He said it so confidently. So that's when the questions really started to, I mean, pop up in my head, but just sitting here, comprehending it, looking back on it, the fact that of the three Palinka Johnson and Walton, the fact that magic is gone before the other two is absolutely mind blowing. Right, it's 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 crazy. I mean, after everything that that they've been through as an organization, I just wanted to get into some of his like moves, um, mm -hmm. because he mentioned D'Angelo Russell and how he's matured. Well, yeah, no yeah, that shit, was really interesting. No shit, he's matured. He he grew up and he got out of L.A. and went to Brooklyn and kind of started winning. So mm -hmm. that 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 would kind of make him seem more mature. But I think. Right, Magic takes over in 2017, the middle of the season. First thing he does is he he um, 
trades Lou Williams for a pick. That mm-hmm. pick ends up becoming more picks. The, the, whatever, he walks away uh, going into the 2017 season with a combination of Kuzma, Ball, Hart, mm-hmm. um, um, Ingram. Ingram, and he traded uh, Mozgov and Russell. So, so you look at his, his kind of idea of what he was building, and you can see where he's going with it in this kind of that he wants these young guys to build this young core together. I, you can't really expect to win that many games trading away some of your veterans and signing these young guys, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever. Goes on. This is when I think um, in the middle of the 2017-2018 season, I think Magic might have gotten a little impatient. He said that it was mm-hmm. a three-year plan. I think his plan involved building a young core, cleaning cap space, and then hoping that the veterans, the amazing veterans he brings in, will be able to elevate and teach the rookies, and they would basically build a dynasty. I think that was yeah. that was his three-year plan. And he got off to a good start, but he trades Clarkson and Nance midseason to clear cap space for Isaiah Thomas and Channing Fry. Kind mm-hmm. of a weird, a weird trade. And season goes on, whatever. That then he signed LeBron after the summer, and from this point on, it kind of felt like he was playing uh, 2K, like my league at this point. Yeah, literally, he's, literally. He's signing, he's signing what he described in the summer league interview as tough guys on one-year mm-hmm. deals so he can maintain the financial flexibility while having a team that's exciting to put in front of the Staples Center crowd with he wanted LeBron to play off-ball because he didn't want a repeat of Cleveland. Well, what LeBron said was, a repeat of Cleveland. I'm fine with a repeat of Cleveland. What's that? Going Four to the finals. Trips to the end of yeah. the NBA. So I I think he got all these guys on one-year deals, and he realized, hey, like, this might not be working out. And mm-hmm. I think he just got impatient, and what the season just ended a complete disaster. And yeah. that's what he just decided to pull the trigger, uh, to uh, pull, uh, pull the plug. But um, – I just think it's a one of the, one of the all time craziest kind of hype up of a team and fall. Yep, crazy. Yep, and the hype up the prob, part of the problem was it's him going on publicly saying I'm gonna bring in another superstar. I'm gonna bring in this person. I'm gonna bring in that person. And the wild part of it is everyone's kind of come to consensus that LeBron was going to L.A. because of L.A., not because of Magic Johnson, not because of Magic Johnson. May he, did he quote unquote close the deal? Maybe. But LeBron was going there because of ulterior motives. They basically had Paul George in the bag, and then somehow he ends up staying in Oklahoma City, which looks like an all time career move. I could not even imagine what would be going on if he was in LA right now. And he just kept hyping it up, hyping it up. I mean, remember he said, I'm going to retire if I don't bring in superstars in the next two summers. Like, why are you putting that on yourself? There's no reason. And then, after the Dodgers interview, after he brings in LeBron, I'm going to bring in another one. Like he just put this added pressure on himself day after day after day. That was just unnecessary because like you said, this team was a young, like they had a young core and they still do have a young core and nothing really made sense based on what he was saying to the public versus what he actually had on his roster. It didn't, nothing really correlated. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, he said, I watched, I mean, I watched every playoff game and I saw 
the late I saw teams win with toughness and not shooting. Right. Well, I guess he doesn't stay up late enough to watch the games out west where (laughs) where the Rockets shoot themselves out of the NBA finals and the Warriors become the team of the decade once again. So Mm -hmm. I just I just think I just think there's a lot of self reflection that the Lakers franchise has to do, specifically Genie Bus. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, people they need to bring in. You look what you look what the Clippers did. They brought in basketball people, Lawrence Frank, Jerry West. Lawrence Frank, yep. Because when Steve Ballmer came in and kind of had this kind of brash, uh, like we're gonna win, we're gonna win. This is L.A. Like we're the a big team in L.A. He he, I think he's become such a better owner since mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. taking over and. And he realized that it wasn't going to be him and Doc Rivers running the show um, where he brought in basketball people and started cultivating a culture. And you can kind of feel the momentum turning for the Clippers where you look at an mm-hmm. owner like Jeannie Buss or James Dolan or some of these other dysfunctional franchises. It's just it's just I just really hope she doesn't hire Kobe. I guess that's all I yeah, got to say about I, I, that. Yeah. I mean that would be absurd after like just and I'm I'm sure you listened to the, the Bill Simmons emergency podcast today and just like yeah, the did. point is I I don't like he brought up a great point they're the Lakers why can't they throw a check to Presti or Masai or any of these executives high level executives that have proven themselves over and over again and say here come have the Lakers build whatever you want you're gonna have the freedom you. You're not your job's not going to be in jeopardy. You fill in the check, and we want you. Like you're the Lakers. Why aren't you doing that yet? The fact, I mean, the fact that and look, Jeannie, people have mixed feelings about her, and apparently she's pretty widely respected around the league. But the fact that she fired her brother and then brought in this Palinka Magic tandem in the same day and didn't even run a search is insane. Looking back on it, and then it doesn't make it any less surprising that this is how it turned out. So I think, look, they're not in the playoffs. She has time to actually do research, get the right guy. I don't know who the right guy is. I just, I would have trouble thinking that they're going to bring in anyone that isn't, hasn't already proven themselves in the front office. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a time for NBA teams in general, just to kind of step back and see what teams are doing the, or having the most success. And I think mm-hmm. it's not it's not necessarily the case anymore where the biggest markets are the team with the teams with the most success, where these these owners can't get away with being so bad at their jobs. I guess with no yeah. other better way to I mean, say there's it. No, there's no other way to put it. Yeah, there's no other way they, to put it. They can't get away with being bad at their jobs because these young, these smaller market teams with with more competent of front office people are just blowing them out of the water when it comes to mm-hmm. the scouting and and mm-hmm. the the dirty work of of winning in the NBA nowadays. So it's yeah. really it's really a lesson I think that the Lakers franchise is going to take um and I think good the good thing for me as a Knicks fan I think it's kind of taking some of the attention off of the worst season I I think it's the worst hardest to watch basketball season. I've ever been a part of as a fan. You're still watching? 
so I that's stopped what I'm watching it, it gets it gets to the point where you don't even know what, what time the games are on. It's really kind of embarrassing. Yeah. It's but, it's it's too much. It's too much Dennis Smith for me right now. Yeah, it's it's crazy. But yeah, that was crazy, crazy night, crazy morning for sure. Yeah, and I mean to put the final cap on that to seal the deal. It's just I I've honestly never seen anything like that in just a guy like Magic Johnson that's so well established and well and carries himself so well, well established on the basketball court well-established businessman and he kind of just it literally looked like he just drove to staples center that day and just was like you know what i want nothing to do with this anymore and didn't bother running it by genie didn't bother running it by palinka didn't bother running it by anybody and just kind of took it upon himself to just cut ties and move on with his life and look if you look at the guy he is and everything else he has going on it's it's pretty hard to blame him honestly right yeah i'm and that's what we'll leave off with that and then, so we're going to talk some postseason, or I keep saying postseason, regular season awards. So we're going to give our all three of our NBA teams, and you got, did you do your MVP, rookie of the year, six man, yeah. all that stuff? Yep. And then, did you do coach of the year? Because coach of the year is really, that's like I the did do coach of the make. year. I did do coach okay, of the yeah, year. Okay, I'm look, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So I'll first, take, we'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you take coach of the year start? first, but we'll start with the okay. NBA teams. Okay, so... First team, I think it's pretty consensus at this point. At least four of the five positions are, from what I've heard. I got Steph, Harden, are the locks at guards. Giannis, the lock at forward. Embiid, the lock at center, in my opinion. And then I have Kevin Durant, just because... And look, Paul George, I've discussed on this pod before, had was playing at an MVP level at a certain point, but that shoulder injury is clearly, clearly lingering. And they had to work, even though he had a great game last night and ended up hitting the game winning three, they had to work on it multiple times throughout the game. And just, he's had a really, really rough shooting months in March and April. And Katie's just been slowly having another extremely productive season, over 52% from the floor, just doing his thing. And I feel like he earned that spot on the first team. Yeah. So I have the same first team as you. Um, okay. I think I was more, um, I was more decisive about putting Durant on it just because I value the team success and the durability Mm -hmm. and the consistency of the night in night out killer mentality that KD has. Um, It's just Mm -hmm. a guy that you don't want to, you don't want to play same with Paul George, but um, I had Embiid um, over Jokic. I had Jokic on my second team. Um, Agreed. I, I think Embiid just separated himself as the best center in the league this -hmm. season. Um, it might have been in the air uh, with some other guys, but I think at this point, not only is he the best center of the league, I think he's a tier above everyone else in terms of an all around an all around guy who can affect the game every in every dimension um, yeah, on and I, and off and off the floor. So yep, I I think he's just special, um, and he's a step above Jokic for sure. Yeah, I I have Jokic on the second team, so I don't want to rag on him too much, but. Him getting absolutely dismantled by a DeMarcus Cousins who still doesn't look like he's at full strength and full speed. Jokic absolutely getting dismantled and then getting trash talked to while just helplessly getting destroyed wasn't a good look for him. Yeah, uh, definitely not. Um, I'm going to go ahead with my second team and I'm going to talk more about Jokic. But uh, I love um, Damian Lillard from the... Currently fifty-two and twenty-nine Portland Trailblazers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
again another quietly great season in the Northwest. Um, yep. people don't get people don't get enough time to watch him, but they they finished the season really well, I thought too, and I think they're coming into the playoffs even without Nurkic. Um, Lillard just carrying that team is still uh, one of the toughest matchups in the NBA. Um, uh, then I have Russell Westbrook and Paul George just because what they've mm-hmm. done this season at OKC has been great, even though they kind of slipped in the standings of recently. Um, you talked yeah. about PG, um, Russ having again one of those amazing seasons, uh, and just kind of continuing to transform the game. Someone said this, uh, I forget who it was or where I was watching it, but they said, and I agreed with it, I didn't even realize, it, it depends on the person you ask. If you ask someone like me, I'll tell you Russ is one of the most underrated players in the league. But if you ask someone else, they might tell you Russ is one of the most overrated players in the league. So I think it's kind of the beauties in the eye of the beholder for someone like Russ. But I love him. I put him on my second team. I have Kawhi on there. And then with Jokic, with Kawhi, I know he didn't play a lot of games, but mm-hmm. the way he's kind of just the go-to man in Toronto and their team success too. Um, yep. And along with the how thin it gets at the forward position, which I'm sure we'll get into um, mm-hmm. on the next team, I think uh, Kawhi was my pick there. Yeah, so I also had Dame on the second team. You said it all, just another quietly great season, and I'm just hoping they actually get it done the first round of the playoffs this year. I can't hear again how they should blow it up with him and CJ. I love that backcourt, and hopefully they can be as close to full strength as possible, even without Nurkic. But again, another great season from him. And then I actually went with Kyrie in the second guard spot. It was really tough. I've gone back and forth with Kyrie and Russ. Um, Obviously, the off-the-court stuff with Kyrie has been an issue all I mean you can count on you'd have to have two hands to count and maybe even back to your first hand mm-hmm. with the bad quotes that he said just newsworthy bad bad quotes it seems like every every single time he talks something bad comes out of his mouth and that's definitely a turnoff in terms of second team all nba but the numbers <laughs> have been off the charts the numbers have been off the charts and it's just really really hard to dispute what he's doing on the basketball court and yeah, the Celtics may have underwhelmed, but I think we kind of underestimated the growing pains that it would take for them to have for the young guys to have the playoff success they had last year. And then coming back, having to reincorporate Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. Um, I just think his on-court performance is deserving of that. And then I also had PG all the, for all the reasons you said Kawhi, same thing, even though he sat out and hasn't played uh, I don't even know if he's played any back-to-backs, but definitely limited the number of back-to-backs he played. Only played about three-fourths of the season, but when he was on the court, he was absolutely dominant on both ends. And it was great to see him back on the court playing at a high level. And then I also have Jokic. Um, just his offensive game is off the charts. So it's so much fun to watch him at the high post when he catches it, or even taking the ball out into the basket, chucking these 90-foot football passes. I mean... Oh yeah, is he's not as good as defensively as Embiid is, which is why we both agree Embiid's a little bit on a higher tier than him. But an amazing offensive season and truly the catalyst for a Nuggets team that really, really overachieved this year. Um, yeah, for sure. I think the Nuggets' success is definitely kind of awarded rewarded by uh, Jokic being on that second team. But um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I for Kyrie, um, I had him on my third team. Uh, he'll look great in blue and orange next year. But yeah, he did have. Hopefully, he did so, have one of. Yeah, what were you gonna say? While we're on it, while we're on it, I hate to cut you off, fellow Knicks fan. While we're on it, does that scare you a little bit? Yeah, um, I've always, it definitely scares me. I, I mean, he's always gonna run his mouth no matter where he's playing, and I think, right. I think, while he does have kind of a leadership issue, not in terms of, I'm not saying if he's a good or a bad leader, just but the fact that his leadership comes up in conversation from him and others all the time is not kind of the mm-hmm. way, the things you want to be talking about in a post-game or pre-game uh, press conference. But mm-hmm. I think someone of his caliber of player, I think, especially with a team like the Knicks that hasn't had that, um, I I mean I guess now you could say since healthy Porzingis, but mm-hmm. but um, I think it's worth it's worth kind of dealing with that to have someone of his caliber. Yeah, no, I mean I'm not going to sit here and say I don't want him, but I would also be lying if there was a part of me that said I I'm not scared for what him trying to be the alpha in New York would look like. Right. I mean that's all. Maybe a combination with another guy. Who might have the initials yeah. KD, um, and I think the I think the lottery, the lottery could be the biggest day for Nick fans in a long time. So Big, yeah, one of the biggest days of my so, life. Yeah, so continuing my, with my third, yeah, yeah, continue. Go ahead, go ahead. With go the, ahead. the third team, I have Kyrie on there for all the reasons you listed. Just I mm-hmm. I I just had such a bad taste in my mouth from the Celtics' performance. Yeah, they still had a great record and they finished. Um, they finished high up in the standings. Like they still finished fourth in the East. Um, I think that's in part due to Oladipo's injury, but mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I just, the inconsistency of them and all the drama. And I just had him on my third team just for all that. Um, at the second guard, um, late switch to DeMar DeRozan. Um, mm. okay. I think, I think the Spurs, uh, they had like another one of those sneaky good seasons, forty-seven and thirty-four. They're gonna end up being like in the six, seven, eight range in the West by the time the night is over. But I, I think their team success should should not go like unnoticed. And I think that Demar Drozen had another great season, and he's, I think he's mm-hmm. underappreciated as one of the best players in the game. Like he still averaged a twenty-one, six and six, which is pretty unbelievable shooting 48 percent and all that all that fun stuff um i think he's definitely deserving of the third team and then forward i had blake i think just he makes the pistons so much better when he's on the floor it's kind of hard to watch them when he's not on the floor and i hope they make the playoffs um yeah by the end of the night and then i have gobert at the five and i've kind of been saving this last forward spot because I feel like this is mm-hmm. where the drama is going to come in. Um, it is. I, I think some guys got left off. I'd say uh, Kemba had disappointing end of the se- not disappointing, but the team success wasn't there like it was at the beginning of the mm-hmm. season. Um, mm-hmm. Lamarcus Aldridge could have been in this four spot. Same with Carl Towns. Um, but I think I'm going to have to go with a hybrid of LeBron and Anthony Davis. I'm gonna, oh. 
share the spot. Oh. oh. Just because I couldn't decide. I was decide. not expecting that. I couldn't decide. I was not expecting that. I... It's just, it's just I, I can't I can't I can't I can't I tell can't which believe. one I dislike more. I can't believe this last spot. I can't believe the AD it's so season. Yeah, Both of the really, seasons really are are equally unbelievable that I I was like laughing at this spot because I as much as I love <laughs> as much as I love Gallo, he seems to be the next guy in mind. No, you can't do it. Can't I couldn't it. give it to, I couldn't give it to my man Danilo even though the Clippers have had an unbelievable season led by potential coach of your candidate doc rivers as he is every year but yeah um we will get to that we will get to that but i mean ad played more games than lebron james believe it or not and did you really he played 56 and lebron played 55 oh my god that's, that's so, crazy so the clutch boys are going to share my forward spot in the third team wow that's a pick if i've ever seen one yeah <laughs> Um, so on my third team, and look, I'm, I'm not going to knock you for that DeRozan pick at all. I mean, I'm all for rewarding team success with a spot like that. And I can see how people are straying away from Beal. I mean, the Wizards were an absolute train wreck. The wall injury, they traded out of Porter, just visibly tanking. But I've always been a huge Beal fan and I got to respect him going out there, giving his all, all 82 games and just going out there and balling every night. I think he's averaging like 25 six and five something like that pretty efficient shooting and i mean his shooting numbers are very efficient for a guy like him who's just a shot maker and so i think he should be rewarded with that third spot whether the wizards give their second supermax should should be determined and i think some dc guys right now are definitely praying he gets left off that third team but we'll see um and in terms of the russ versus Kyrie thing i think it's a great point which you brought up about russ before in terms of it's just the lens that you look at it with and i think Look, that's why I could go either way, but a guy like you who's more pro Russ, I think it made it easier to look at all the distractions that Kyrie has caused off the court and put him on the third team versus me, who's never been the biggest Russ fan. It made it a little bit easier for me to look at him shooting 29% from three and put him on the third team. That could go either way. I'm not really too pressed about it. Um, and then my forward, I also had Blake. I mean, like he, for all the reasons you said, just makes the Pistons go. My center, I had Gobert, um, just a monster on defense. and. Pretty, and he upped his offensive game too, was good on both ends. And then the last forward spot, I tried to do everything in my power to find someone else. I couldn't do it. I had to settle with LeBron. I, I, if I really cared about someone else and would, would be willing to die on a hill for someone else, I would do it just because the LeBron season was absolutely atrocious. Not his numbers, just the season in general. I know he had 28, 8, and 8, but just... Everything else that he calls, the dysfunction that he calls in that organization, in that entire city, is just that there are numbers to describe that, but there's no one else separated them, themselves. You mentioned at the beginning, it gets really, really thin, so I really had no one else to go with other than LeBron here. Yeah, so um, I just the one thing is the Beal situation. Um, definitely a guy that you got to be impressed with. Back-to-back seasons now, playing eighty all eighty-two games. Um, mm-hmm. I I feel like in terms of durability and consistency and kind of leadership by actions is a polar opposite to John Wall at this point. Yeah, but yep. um, um, I don't know if you listened to Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo talking about how yep. whether or not time. every the, time whether or not the new GM 
should stretch, should not stretch, but basically try to do something with John Wall. With um, Wall, yeah. But I think the was you did a Wizards podcast recently, but I think I think um, Beal is definitely deserving of some recognition for his great season. I just don't know if I could put, um, I just don't know if I could put someone from the Wizards who finished the season thirty-two and fifty on an All NBA team. Yeah, and I completely get it. I mean, when look, there are multiple guys at this point. We're talking about third team that are have different cases, and it's all about what you look for. I mean. That team success gives a guy like DeRozan that bump over Beal, who definitely had better individual stats. It's all how you look at it. I mean, it's just the LeBron situation. I wanted so bad for someone to separate themselves and even make the slightest case, but I just couldn't do it. I couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah, well. And, yeah, I think we're all good on that, right? I think that's pretty much covers all NBA teams. Um, yeah, I think we can move on. Yeah, so MVP. Big question, in my opinion. This is impossible for me. I want to hear what you have first. What do you have? What do you have to offer? All right. Um, I've been saying it all year. Um, Giannis is going to be my MVP. Um, as mm-hmm. as much as I think Harden had an unbelievable year, and I think that this four year stretch he's put together is one of the best offensive stretches we've ever seen. And his defense, in fact, has gotten a lot better this year. Um and I don't yeah, know I'm glad you getting, brought that up. Definitely. I, I don't know if he's getting a lot of credit for that. Um, let's see, let's see. He is averaging 2.0 steals per game, which getting above that number is pretty impressive for a guy like him who gets no credit for his defense. Um, but I'm just, I, I think Giannis, um, like just being able to see him in person and then watching him on TV throughout the season, you kind of just get a whole new kind of appreciation for his season yeah. and his abilities. And I think he's uplifted the city, uplifted the franchise and the players around him mm-hmm. to a way that's just makes him valuable. My definition of valuable yeah. isn't, isn't just necessarily uh, how good of your stats are and all that stuff. He, I mean, he still finished with about six assists and over 12 rebounds to go along with over 27 points, which is a number that is rarely seen, but a guy on a, a team with the next best player being Chris Middleton and a Malcolm Brogdon. Mm-hmm. Um, just being able to adapt his game to a new system over one year. His team won 60 games. Uh, yeah. 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 He's young and yeah, he'll have a great chance to win it in the future. And you could say all that, but I just think there's no one more valuable to a team and a city and a franchise in general, in terms of front office and kind of the way that, Giannis's work hard mentality and his his personality is kind of rubbed off in a way that we haven't really seen before on a on a franchise. Um but so that's why I'm gonna go with Giannis. Yeah. Um this has been the debate for me the entire season. I I can't bring myself and look, I see all the Giannis points and I know he'll probably win it. And I I see the points that he's literally he's playing like eight less minutes per game or seven less minutes per game than Harden. So maybe the stats aren't completely there because they've been blowing everyone out of the water. I know he's the best player on the best team in the league. I know all that, but it's just so hard for me. Harden, I've watched a lot, a lot of Harden, and it's just really hard for me to, to watch someone average 36 points per game and go through the stretch that he did 
And look, the thing with Harden and that like insane, insane stretch he went through was it was out of necessity. They had no Chris Paul. They had no one else on the team. His second best player was like Daniel House and Gerald Green. Like, I don't even, they didn't even have him at that point. I'm I'm talking like in the stretch when he went through like the garden when in like in that performance. And he just had an insane stretch that revived his team season. And look, I see the counterpoint that you're going to say Giannis' season didn't need reviving because he was awesome from game one to game 82. And I see that. I can't fault it. This is more of, I see both sides and there's no wrong vote in my opinion. It's not like there are two wrong choices. There's two right choices. I just can't bring myself that to watch all this Harden. He averaged 36 points per game. That's obscene. Seven half assists. He's literally their only option when Chris Paul is healthy, which is not all that often. He'll take some of the load, but everything goes through him. And there's just a part of me that can't not give it to him. And on top of the fact, I do think I try to separate this stuff. I try, but as humans, we just can't let go of it. I do think he got robbed two years ago for the MVP. And I think this is his last chance to put up a historic season like this. I think Giannis is going to run away with the MVP trophy five of the next 11 years. And that's not really factoring to my choice this year, but more of Harden. It just needs to be recognized for this unbelievable season. Right. And I think the fact that he got robbed is definitely going to stick with people and it might stick with some of the voters. Um, but it's, it's, an unbelievable four-year stretch he's put together, and if back-to-back MVPs yeah. needs to be what he's rewarded for it, I'll be I'll I'll deal with it. I think I'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and look, I don't want to spend too much. I don't want to spend too much time yeah. debating about this because I don't think there's there's no wrong choice. It, whatever, whatever end of the spectrum you're on, I get it. Yeah. So I'm gonna um run through like the other three awards we we're gonna talk about. Um, okay. Kind of, Kind of just because we could group them together. I'm gonna go Luca yeah. as my rookie, just because Agreed. he's already one of the best players in the league. Um, mm-hmm. What he's averaging, it's kind of being taken for granted already, and he's not even done with yeah. his first season in the NBA. So I think that's incredible. Trey Young's had a great end of season, but I can't give it to him over Luca. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to win my prop, uh, Lou yeah, Williams. That too. Lou Williams I have as my sixth man um, mm-hmm. just because it's it's basically his award at this point and mm-hmm. the what he does for that second unit for the Clippers, him and Montrez, um, I think both do a great job for them and are both deserving of recognition. But I think the Clippers' success kind of goes against the modern NBA's tendency to have star power in the starting lineup where – the Clippers mm-hmm. have kind of built their team around consistency and good bench play, and uh, the success of the Clippers, I don't think, would be what it be would be what it is without Lou Williams. Uh, Agreed. And that's and that second unit, and then for Coach of the Year, um, I mentioned Doc before, but I'm gonna have to go with Budenholzer. Um, okay. I think uh, coming into Brooklyn, uh, coming into Milwaukee. Uh, his first year and completely transforming a team that was built around uh, a Jason Kidd kind of style of offense and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I just think to have the best team in the NBA, um, 
as a first-year head coach and kind of being one of the only guys to unleash Giannis and all his abilities and everything he's done so far mm-hmm. this year has just, if you're kind of awarding the NBA's best head coach uh, in terms of team success and all that stuff, I think Mike Budenholzer was this year's best NBA head coach. Yeah, I so I'm, I don't want to spend too much time on rookie of the year or six man Luca and Lugo. I think it's pretty much consensus at this point. Uh, shout out to Trey Young for even making the conversation. He's had an unreal post All Star break, but still, yeah, that's your what that's Luka's your boy. Done, that is my boy. I've been very high on him from ever since I saw him at the McDonald's game. Ever since I saw him in the UIBL, loved him and happy he's doing his thing. But anyways, for coach of the year, I feel like. I think Budenholzer is truly the best coach in the league right now, just based on what he does in a night out, night in, night out basis with that roster, utilizing the transition, getting out, getting out and playing, running, um, just Giannis. And you mentioned being able to actually unleash Giannis, but I'm going to have to go with Doc here. And it's no knock against Budenholzer. It's honestly a knock to his predecessor, Jason Kidd. Like, Kid did such a horrible, horrible job with the Bucks and with the roster and with Giannis that there was honestly nowhere else. Like the expectations were already so low coming from last year that yes, Budenholzer did an unbelievable job, but he and look, I don't. I, this is kind of sounding like I'm discrediting what he did, but the expectations were so low it was already in shambles from last year, and he came in and did a great job. And I think he's the best coach right now, and he has the most control over his team right now. But the coaching job that Doc Rivers did, basically throwing the team, basically tried to tank, and by trading their real fringe all star, their top scorer Tobias Harris, who's probably going to get a max this summer, trading him mid season, bringing in young guys, starting backcourt of two rookies. Shamit is Shamit starting, or is he coming off the bench? Um, I don't even know at this point. Yeah, but... I mean they they have so many guys. I mean, two of their best guards, though, Shea Gilch Alexander and Shamit, two rookies, and then the emergence of Montrez Harrell, Lou Will doing his thing, Gallo having one of the best seasons of his career, and just the fact that they not only did they not get worse, they got better after overhauling Tobias Harris at the deadline. Just an incredible job by Doc. I bet them not to make the playoffs after the trade, trade, trade deadline. I thought there was just way too much tank potential with all those young guys and Tobias getting shipped out, and yeah, they lost that bet for me pretty quickly. And I think they're close to fifty wins. I didn't memorize. They're so they're at forty-seven, and they're going to end up at the eight seed. So it'd probably be a first-round exit. But still, I think a remarkable coaching job by Doc to make the adjustments he did mid-season and really exceed the expectations for a Clippers team that pretty much had none. Yeah, I mean, I love Doc, and I think other guys that deserve. Some recognition. A guy like Kenny Atkinson did a great job with the yeah, Nets. I thought They're about him in the playoffs. Too. Yeah. Um, and a guy like Nate McMillan, um, keeping the Pacers afloat without Oladipo. Just great coaches, and um, I think who deserve some recognition. But I think it could go either way. It just depends how you look at the award, which is sadly what it mm-hmm. comes down to without without official criteria for any of these awards. Yeah, completely agree. I think that's a great summary of all these awards. Right. So, and so yeah, so now yeah, we're going to go get into playoff stuff. Um, talk about some future playoff matchups. As I look at the Knicks down 101-64 to the, to the Pistons, 
with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. So they're nowhere near the playoffs. But hmm. um, teams that are in the playoffs, the first question we were going to talk about is which first-round matchup we were looking forward to the most. Um, yep. This is one that I wanted to start with. Um, I think I think uh, I'm really looking forward to if if everything kind of stays the way it is now, which I I know I understand that as soon as we end this podcast, it could easily kind of the standings could switch around and stuff. But right, a matchup that I'm really looking forward to is the six three Sixers versus Nets mm-hmm. um, series, and that's going off my. I love Kenny Atkinson, and I uh, even though I'm a Nick fan, I do like this Nets team. Um, and I'm interested in this matchup, not necessarily for the competitiveness of the series, but I think the Sixers, um, with their big ball lineup of of Simmons and Redick and Tobias, and mm-hmm. it's going to be really interesting to see how they get guarded, who guards Russell, um, how they how teams are going to play them going forward in the future. Because if if the Sixers win, <laughs> sorry, and the Rap and the Raptors win. Um, I think the Sixers are going to have an incredibly tough time with the Raptors. Um, mm-hmm. even though I even agree. though I agree, even though Embiid is great, I think it, the Raptors are a really tough team for them to beat. But mm-hmm. I think this is a great time for the Sixers to kind of show who they are against a team with a great point guard, a team that plays together and with great bench presence, who has some sneaky depth. And one of the things that people are worried about the Sixers is. How good is their bench unit, and how well can they play with versatility? I'm just really excited to see the six three matchup in the East. Yeah, and yeah, that's gonna be a great matchup. And like you said, um, we could post this, and it could change in a second. But right now, looking at the standings now, I hope this matchup stays the two seven in the West: Denver versus San Antonio. San Antonio storied franchise, tons of postseason success against kind of the new kids on the block in the Denver Nuggets, and. It's kind of been the narrative that the guys towards the bottom of the Western Conference have wanted to play the Nuggets and get their first shot at them to see if those guys are real, if they're real in the playoffs and if they can get it done when the lights are the brightest. And that, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see because the Nuggets have been winning games based off their really deep bench, guys like Malik Beasley and just coming in, contributing every single night. And in the playoffs, when that bench gets trimmed, you're going to see how big of an impact their starters and six and seven guys can make. And against a team like San Antonio, who you mentioned is having a really sneaky good season, DeMar DeRozan always has a chip on his shoulder, and LaMarcus Aldridge, another really, really, really good season. Um, That's a really interesting matchup for me. I feel like that's definitely one to look forward, that Denver could easily drop that series. And People really just haven't been paying attention to San Antonio. They kind of flew under the radar, especially after people wrote them off after the DeJounte Murray injury. But they've had an unbelievable season. Coach Pop back in the postseason again. And I think they're pretty hungry against this Denver team. Right. So, yeah, looking at all the possible matchups, um, I, I thought it was really interesting how the teams in the West kind of looking at their splits and stuff like that. The Nuggets are actually have a losing record on the road. Um, I think they play on really? the road yeah. tonight. Oh no, I think they're done for the season. But actually, I have no idea. I'm just gonna. They've stop. one more game. Yeah, one more game. I think it's at home. But yeah, they're at home. Right. Um, 
they're 33 and seven at home and 20 and 21 on the road. So, you, but you also look at a team like the Spurs, who are seventh in the in the West. They're 31 and nine at home and 16. <laughs> Their and road record. 16 yeah, and 25 on the road. So <laughs> I think this this could be one of those series that goes seven and then is maybe taken yeah. by the team with home court advantage. Um, mm-hmm. just just because there's not that star power on Denver that kind of when ISO ball takes over in the playoffs, um, it could right. be it could be hard to win some of those games. Um, I think it's going to be tough for the Nuggets to, um, kind of prove themselves this postseason. I and I hope they do, and it starts with a tough matchup against San Antonio and a guy like Pop. But um, I agree that's going to be a great series. Yeah. Um, I think, and look, you really can't go wrong. First round matchups are going to be amazing. And so before we move on to some draft stuff, who do you think is going to win the East? It's been the question all year, and I kind of settled on a team about a month ago, and I'm still pretty confident in them. All right. Um, so I guess your team's going to be a cliffhanger. Um, my team, <laughs> my team, um, Oh God, I I hate really to, hard. I, I I hate to do it. Um, I've I've been I've been on the Bucks bandwagon the whole season long. Um, and I really think Giannis is great, but without Brogdon and mm-hmm. lacking the true star power and the three pointers, they they work well over the long term with the stats and stuff like that. But you go cold in one game seven, like we saw in Houston. And mm-hmm. your season could be over just like that. That's why I got to go with the Raptors. I just think um, their combination of experience um, and star power and kind of that also that youth athleticism of Siakam and Ananobi. I love the Raptors this year. And I think I loved them last year. And they they always find a way to dis- disappoint me in the playoffs. But I think. I think with the addition of Kawhi and the subtraction of DeRozan, they're just a, a new team, and they're a team definitely to be feared. Um, and I think if if Kawhi was to play, if Kawhi was to play um, more games, I think they're a number one team in the East. Yeah, I mean that's my team for all the reasons you listed. The <laughs> fact that and yeah, Giannis is great, but when the game slows down and the transition and the number of possessions in the game decreases. You're not able to get that many buckets in transition as you were and the risk of going cold from three. And just the fact that they literally on their roster have OG Anobi, Pascal Siakam, Danny Green, and Kawhi Leonard to basically defend anyone that gets thrown at them is unreal in the playoffs. I mean, their defensive versatility is off the charts. And the difference from last year, this year is they have one of the top players in the league in Kawhi Leonard. Like, we love DeRozan. Some love Lowry more than others, definitely. But they have that go-to guy now. And the jump that Siakam has made from last year to this year is something they desperately needed last year. And everyone's kind of improving. And I think they're a lot better than they were last year. And look, I, they're my, they've been my pick to win the East for the past month. And yeah, some nights it doesn't look like it. But for the long haul, I think when playoff basketball comes push comes to shove in playoff basketball, I think they're the most built to advance out of the East. Right. Um, yeah, I think when it, I think 
Siakam could walk away with most improved. Like he's having that kind yeah. of he's having that kind of season. Um, yeah. So I think when it comes to the East, we're pretty much thinking the same way. Even though I'll probably end up rooting for the Bucks if if uh, I make my way out to Pfizer for one of those games. Don't blame you. Yeah, that's probably that's gonna be an unreal environment. Yeah. Um. Any last words on NBA stuff before we move on to some draft? Um, I don't know. I'm really, really excited to see how, uh, the Western Conference Finals shakes up because I think that's Mm -hmm. the first time the Warriors are going to have even a slight challenge. Um, I think the Thunder, uh, were a good kind of maybe competition for them with around midseason, but when it comes down to it, just the the starting five that the Warriors roll out there is very, very tough to beat by. Anybody in the NBA, I think, in the last like twenty years. So, uh, it's it, I think it's going to end up being the Warriors in the championship again. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm kind of rooting for a oh, I fully am rooting for a Rockets uh, Warriors rematch in in the Western Conference Finals. I'd love to see kind of Harden go up against Clay again and see Steph out there. Um, all the switching and the modern day basketball mm-hmm. um i'd love to see houston get another chance at the warriors after what's been an up and down season but that's kind of all i have for the nba and i just think the playoffs they might not be getting some like serious hype but i think once they get started there's going to be some really good series going around yeah i mean i can't wait there's going to be on both sides east and west especially when we get to the second round in the East, those four elite teams that the Celtics can make it out. And even if they lose, I mean, still both East and West are really, really deep and just elite teams all over the place. For sure. So moving on to some drafts up before we end this, an unreal national championship game definitely surpassed everyone's expectations, including mine. I was very excited for the game, but still, I did not expect it to be that good. And the matchup everyone was looking forward to, DeAndre Hunter versus Jarrett Culver, depending upon which board you look at, both are usually in the top eight. Um, I have Hunter a little bit higher than Culver. You probably have Culver a little bit higher than Hunter. Maybe it changed after Monday night. But just dive into that for a little bit because that was an unreal game and an unreal matchup and battle between those two guys. Yeah, so I'm going to kind of mix in my top five um, big board okay. as I go. But uh, I, I think I kind of – it was one of those matchups where you watch – Texas Tech and Mooney and all those guys, Owens, and uh, you watch Virginia with Jerome and Guy, and you kind of forget until the second half of that game that it was the Hunter versus Culver show, and every mm-hmm. possession is just a battle between those guys. And I think it was a great opportunity to show against other NBA level prospects how they can guard, both can guard on both ends, and um, every guy was challenging shots and. When it came down to it, Hunter was just making some big shots. But um, I think watching Culver, he kind of reminded me of an NBA player, how you kind of would be surprised by a move you would have. Yeah, like that, like you look at him and he's like, that's an NBA move. But then he only has mm-hmm. like he only has like nine points and he's kind of going along with the flow of the game. I don't think he had his best tournament. I think I think the other guys on his team definitely picked him up. And I think that championship game was unbelievable. And Hunter and Guy were unbelievable in the championship game. But for my big mm-hmm. board, I'm going to still go with Zion 1, RJ 2, Ja 3, mm-hmm. 
And then I'm gonna put I'm gonna put Culver ahead of Hunter. Um, that's my four five okay. actually. Four um, five. Yep. With guys like Brandon Clark and Cam Reddish just just on the outside. Um, mm-hmm. but I think I think Jared Culver uh, has the ability to become one of those dominant two guards. Um, maybe not right away in year one or year two or even year three, but I think he's one of those guys where if he gets in the right system and if he is on a team that lets him develop. Uh, I think he has a chance to become a dominant two-way player in the league. Um, And I think he showed his scoring ability this year. And I think Hunter might be a little more developed at the moment, but in terms of an NBA big board, I'm going to have to give the edge to Culver. Yeah. I mean, I see all of it. And as someone, I watched a lot of Texas Tech this year. And my one issue with Culver would be he just – kind of floats a little bit too much and it was really interesting because he was texas tech's primary creator i mean when they didn't have anywhere else to go they would give him the ball and that results in some really good moments like the spin layup he had in the last 40 seconds of regulation against hunter which was a beautiful move and then it also results in him settling for pull-up jumper for pull-up threes when he's not that good of a three-point shooter and he got passive a little bit of times and I'm here to kind of pump the brakes on Culver a little bit just because there's some stuff that scares me. I don't know how good of a shooter he truly is. Um, The percentages are down like 7% from his freshman year, which is a little concerning. And he really wasn't shooting the ball well in conference play. Um, And just the first step scares me. I don't know how explosive he is. And for especially someone who's going to have the ball in his hands a lot because he can't really catch and shoot yet the lack of a first step is kind of concerning and look, I'm not here to bash on him. I still would probably have him in the top eight of my board. Um, Just the final four in general was pretty underwhelming in terms of the Michigan state game and the championship game, put those two games together. He was eight for 34 from the field, which is not a good showing. And it just looked like he struggled to get his at times and he makes those moves that are really, really good. But then he also has a lot of other lackluster mode, but for Hunter, I'm really high on Hunter. I mean, the lack of creating, the lack of ability to create is definitely there. We saw that in the Purdue game, the tennis, or yeah, the Purdue game and the Oregon game. He really struggled. But with Hunter, you know what you're getting out of him. A lockdown defender who can basically guard. He guarded all five positions in college this year. The three ball showed it off in the national championship game. People are a little skeptical about that, including myself. But put that on full display, making big shot after big shot. And he just got it done. He played unbelievable defense on Culver the entire game and I love Hunter so if we're gonna give our big boards I think oh so Zion won Ja jumped RJ for me no slight against RJ just Ja an unbelievable tournament to cap off a spectacular sophomore season so go Ja two RJ three I'm still holding out at Darius Garland at four I've just seen too much he's shown me way too much um just so many positive things even in the five games or four games at Vandy and his performances at the Hoop Summit and all these high school events, always been high on him. And I think his game translates to next level. And then at five, I'm going to slide in DeAndre Hunter. So um, after this like March madness and um, since we last spoke, there's definitely some guys that I'm high on now or low on now that I wasn't before. So like getting into it right away, um, a guy that I'm higher on now that I wasn't necessarily as high on going into the tournament, even though okay. he's a guy that I watched all season in the Big Ten is definitely Carson Edwards. He, yeah, for sure. 
just had one of those tournaments to remember. And I, that Purdue Virginia game will stick with me, um, for a long time. But he, so he's definitely a guy I'm buying stock on, uh, per se. And another guy I liked is, uh, um, from Tennessee, uh, Grant Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, just his, his, uh, athleticism. And I, I watched some Tennessee, but watching him in the tournament, against mm-hmm. a good Iowa team and he yeah. definitely kind of solidified himself as uh one of the one of the better players on the floor and I didn't love Nazir Little um watching him this year I thought he was a bit overrated but I think he had flashes and had some really good tournament games that will kind of help his stock yeah I agree um as someone who is really really low on Nazir coming into the year um when he was projected a top 5 pick um, I think he's definitely made some progressions, but I think where he's at on big boards now is probably more accurate on where he should have been in the beginning of the year. But yeah, definitely. I mean, if you watch that game, if you watch the game and aren't buying stock in Carson Edwards, and I don't know what you're watching. He had an unreal tournament. So for the dudes I'm buying stock on, I'm definitely buying stock on Brandon Clark. Um, I get the people that say, look, he really has no offensive game. He has no position. He has no this. How are you going to spend a lottery pick on him? Um, just his intangibles, his knack. I mean, his knack for blocking shots, his timing is incredible. For a guy that's only 6'8", and if you saw the jumper when he was at San Jose State, what it's improved to now speaks to his work ethic and just where that jumper could get to. Um, and he's just a freak athlete, and he's really active. His motor's nonstop, and I feel like he's a guy you can just plug into the league, and especially in this positionless small ball era i think he'll have an immediate impact and it may take him a little bit to- a little bit of time but that his shot blocking translates to the next level for sure so i'm buying stock on him and definitely buying stock after this entire tournament i've been buying stock the entire year i've been saying it the entire year and his run in march just solidified it even more definitely buying stock in ty jerome um just had an unreal tournament his pick and roll numbers are some of the best in power five basketball, even though some people still don't view him as someone who could be a primary ball handler, ball handler at the next level. He's a legit six, five great frame knows how to use his body to create space. Um, does a great job hopping into his jumper. So he's always on balance. Even if his feet are little, his feet aren't square, his shoulders aren't square or he's curling always gets into that with the hop. So he's always on balance and he just had an unbelievable tournament facilitating, showing that he can play on or off the ball and did most of the playmaking and heavy lifting for this Virginia team. So I'm definitely buying stock on him. Yeah. I mean, how can you not love some of those um, guys on Virginia, like Kyle guy and those guys? Mm -hmm. I just think, I think, um, I think it's just, they played so well and they're incredibly well coached and they, they look great in the tournament. Yeah, agreed. So with the buying comes the selling. Who are you a little bit underwhelmed with? It doesn't have to be just in the tournament, but since we last did this, who are you a little bit underwhelmed with that you're willing to sell some stock on? Yeah, I mean, just looking at some of the big boards um, and looking at some of the, like, the projections of guys that I just don't really understand like why they're this high. I mean, you're, you're very high on uh, Garland. Um, I guess mm-hmm. I just I haven't seen enough of him. And he's young. He's only 18, but um personally i would like to see like more out of him and kind of wish he played this year he yeah. would have maybe would have saved that um 
coach's job at Vandy. They had a terrible year, but mm-hmm. um, I'm sure he's great. and I'm sure he's going to be a great pro, but I just don't really understand the hype right now. Um, and then next I'm going to say uh, it used to be Nazir Little had this, this kind of in my mind as a guy who was just incredibly overrated coming into college and just didn't really perform that well. Um, but watching him in the tournament, I started to understand with the size, um, mm-hmm. with the six, six size and stuff like that. As much as I love him, um, I don't really get the hype around Romeo. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't think he had the, his, the season that he needed to. Um, and I just, I know people love him and there's just watching him in college. I think he would not fare well at the next level, but it's also not my job to project how guys would do. Um, what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I said when he last came up about three weeks ago or two weeks ago on a podcast, that was, I said he should have gone back to school. Um, he historically is wasn't, and here's kind of the issue. So Romeo grew up in New Albany, Indiana, and he was he stayed at his public high school. He didn't take the prep school route, and so he had the ball in his hands all the time, playing against inferior opponents. And so if you look at his game in college, it's really simple. It's hit him with a one like one cross or maybe a double move into a layup at the rim. That's really what he's good at, finishing at the rim. And when he got jump shots in college, it was really if he was feeling himself or he was getting a lot of space, but he was on ball his entire high school career, AAU and high school that he never really developed that catch and shoot shot that you need to have as an NBA two guard. And so I know he had a torn ligament in his shooting hand thumb the entire season. Allegedly that definitely isn't great, but it's not necessarily a red flag to me because his percentages were right where they were on the circuit and in high school. So it's not like it necessarily dropped his percentages so much that we should give him a pass for this entire season. I just look at his lack of wiggle and creativity, and I definitely agree with you. I mean, he was one of my guys I had was overrated. Um, definitely think he would benefit from another year in school playing at full strength. But look, someone will probably take him at 14, and the cycle will continue. So yeah, that's what I have on Romeo. Um, right. And then who else I'm selling on? I'm selling on Keldon Johnson for basically the same reasons. Um, He never really elevated his playmaking he was kind of the same player that i thought he was in the beginning at his best when he's a straight line driver putting his head down um using his motor and power and strength at that two guard position to barrel through guys um three point shot was really really encouraging in the beginning of the season he was hovering at around like 43 percent at one point in time but obviously that wasn't sustainable drop down um and the outside shot wasn't really consistent. The decision making wasn't there. I mean, his season basically ended. He was down four and opted to take a contested floater that ended up getting blocked, and that's how he went out. So that pretty much sums it up. And look, I saw the guy on the AU circuit and love the intensity he brings on both ends. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the skills to cut it in the league, they're gonna eat you up pretty quickly. And that's definitely how I felt about him. Right. Um, um yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think you wanted to get in, um, maybe some really underrated guys. Yeah. Uh, so I have, I have, do a you have anyone more, like kind of guys that are, uh, not, maybe not necessarily going to be great pros, but I think deserve a little more credit in terms of big board rankings. Okay. Um, yeah, for sure. One, I said this last time, Cassius Winston. Um, mm-hmm. he didn't have his best game in the final four, but I think, uh, the Michigan State team lost some guys along the way. 
they were without Nick Ward for a while and Cash has found a way to kind of weather the storm and watching him up close was was unbelievable and he would he would put up shots and one of those guys where you're surprised when it doesn't go in and mm-hmm, sure. um there's not there's not many guys like that uh another guy who I don't think we've spoken about who I also saw in person this year um over winter break is Phil Booth um from Villanova mm, thank you I, thank you thank I, you I I don't think he's 23 right he's but he's a guy that I think having him on your team is a guy who you're going to trust with the ball to make the right decision, a guy who can knock down a big shot for you, and a guy who kind of understands the game of basketball and isn't necessarily going to hurt your team in any way. Um, I think Phil Booth uh, is great, and I think he's one of the better college players in the game right now. I wish Villanova did as well as I had them doing in my bracket in the actual tournament, but mm-hmm. I can um, co-sign that. But I think I think Phil Booth is a guy who's out of out of mock drafts at this point, who yeah. I think should definitely be considered as a second round guy. He's not as good as Josh Hart was coming out of Nova, but hmm. he might be he might be in the same mold. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, I I can go back and look at tweets I had from January or February. I always thought that guy was a pro, and look, he's not going to be a top twenty pick, but I think he'll. Someone will take a shot at him in the second round, just as a guy you know what you're getting at, and I think he'll find his way into a spot in the league. And for what role that is, that is to be determined. But I think he just he can play on ball, he can play off ball. I'm so happy you brought him up. Great pick. Um, and yeah, he just gets it done, and he gets it done at the high stage. He's played two of the best games of his career in national championship games. And yeah, the word trust definitely associates with him. I like that pick a lot. Um, and then two of my other underrated guys, um, Dylan Windler from Belmont. I was really looking forward to watching him play. He didn't play his best game in the first four, but I mean, for a guy his size and for a guy who really doesn't pass the eye test as someone who's freakish athletic, which he isn't. I mean, he rebounds the shit out of the ball. He's always on the boards. I think he got double digit boards in both of the tournament games. And then he absolutely lit it up against Maryland. Just the shots he was making were absurd. And for a guy who's that tall and lanky, you can shoot it like that. I think there's definitely a spot for him. Um, Right now he's listed as an early second round guy. I wouldn't be shocked if he slipped his way into the first round. If a team fell in love with his game and looked like he can contribute right away. Cause he was a four year player. And then another guy, I mean, he's, I've seen him more and more, rising up the boards, which is good to see closer to like the low twenties, high teens. But I don't understand why Tyler hero isn't a lottery pick. Um, the guy vastly improved over the course of the season from game one to the game against Auburn really became one of their go-to guys to look for down the stretch. I think he can turn that moving off, off ball, like running off off ball screens and curling into threes into an elite skill Great stroke from the mid-range, and he get, he's a lot better on defense than he gets credit for. I think with the performance he had in the SEC tournament towards the S- end of SEC play into the NCAA tournament, I def- definitely think he's worthy of some more love. Yeah, and I mean, the tournament kind of brings out these guys, uh, maybe not necessarily hero, but guys that you kind of don't really understand in the moment why they're NBA players, just mm-hmm. because of how good they're playing in the tournament. A guy like Harper from Auburn or Tremont Waters from LSU. 
these kind of guys that are undersized and maybe having these outstanding tournaments. But um, that's like something I love about the tournament that you think that anybody could play at the NBA until um, you realize the size and the speed and different. It's a completely different game. Um, but I think, yeah, I agree. Hero, um, even though he ditched my Badgers, I think he is going to be hopefully have a sneaky good NBA uh, role next year in the league. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like people have kind of forgot about him, which is which is kind of a shame. But I think the tournament was great for some guys. I think other guys, like maybe a Marcus Howard, didn't necessarily get to show what they were made of. Um, yeah. Getting blown out by John Morant didn't necessarily help his draft stock, but I agree with everything you said. Yeah, I mean, I left it all out there. Nothing else to say. You have any last words before we finish this thing off? Um, last words. Uh, my New York Mets um, won tonight. That's a, that's a positive. Um, <laughs> I think besides from that, I'm, I've been really into baseball, opening season, stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. Nervous about the Badger football team. That spring practice is coming up this weekend. But um, besides from that, I'm ready for the playoffs. and It's going to be great. Yeah, you guys, you guys got Graham Mertz. You won't be too bad. Yeah, we'll be okay. All right, man. Thank you for coming on. Always yeah, fun time. And always. Look forward to it in the future. See you, man. See you. Thank you. Always fun time. and Look forward to it.